I will be referencing several different passages from Scripture, so you'll need to have this insert that was in your bulletin and keep that handy as I refer to some of these passages that are noted. During the Advent season, we have several special events incorporated uh, with our services. And in Sunday nights, the next three Sunday nights, we have special events. Tonight, the Hanging of the Greens Explanation and a concert from the Bella Voce Choir from St. Louis. And then a chili supper on top of that. Chili suppers go with anything you do. So we put that on the end of that. This is the first night of Advent. Then we'll have the children's pageant next week in the evening service at 6 and the following week, a concert by Nathan Clark George and his band as they'll be bringing some classical Christmas arrangements as well as some folk songs. And this would be a great opportunity for you to invite friends and family uh, for that event. Advent's a special annual observance that we choose in our Christian liberty to participate in. For various reasons, uh, the winter solstice uh, was the time chosen by the church historic to set aside an observation of Christ's coming, the fulfillment of God's promise to send a Savior to save us from our sins. The gift of Christmas is Jesus. He is the gift. Now, I know that we think of gift-giving during Christmas season. That's a tradition that's born out of appreciation for the gift God's given us. But it's definitely important for us to come together as a church during this time and just contemplate, celebrate, be built up by the fact that God has given us the gift of Jesus Christ. He is the major gift of Christmas. Now, for these four weeks, I want to bring you what I might call corollary gifts. I'll give you this illustration that I'll return to that'll help us understand what I mean by the gifts that God gives us. There are many of them. I'll just focus on four over these four weeks. All of you come from uh, families with traditions in your holiday season. And when you married somebody, if you're married, you probably had different traditions between those two families. That was certainly true for Sherry and I. My family was more on the spontaneous unpredictable side of things as far as Christmas goes. You can make a request about what you'd like, but you could get anything. It always made it exciting and interesting every Christmas to see what gifts you would get. On Sherry's side, much more calculated and disciplined. They almost have a negotiation at Thanksgiving time to decide who will give what. There are no surprises on Christmas morning, but everybody's happy because they got what they want. Now, that's been difficult for me to fully understand some almost 20 years later. I'm still amazed by the process when we go to her house and everybody gets wrapped up for them the very thing they told the person to give them. And they're happy about it. It works. I mean, to show you, I tried to mix it up a little bit with her brothers and said, okay, for our gift exchange, Darren and Brett, let's just mix it up again and be a little more, you know, spontaneous. And uh, Brett said, yeah, that's a good idea. So we always get each other gift cards. So Tony, what gift card would you like? I said, well, all right, I'm going to be real spontaneous. You could get me a gift card to either Bass Pro Shop, Cabela's or Dick's, any one of those. See how we've mixed it up over the years? Now it's a little more confusing. Okay, well, this will help you understand my wife's appreciation for a gift that my mom gave her our first year of marriage. Sherry wanted a purse, a new purse. It was a particular purse. I assume they knew which purse it was. So for our first Christmas, my mom gave her this purse, and Sherry was as happy as she would be at a gift she knows about, but she's excited about She was very happy she got her purse. Well, later on in the evening, I don't know if it was right away, she started to look in the pockets of the purse, and my mom had put $5 bills, $10 bills, and $20 bills in the purse. She was just blown away. She, Can you do this? I mean, is that... This one big gift that she had expected and wanted and looked forward to, she was happy with. But there, it kept giving other things. It was just a beautiful gift that kept giving others. And I want you to think of Jesus as that great gift 
the big gift, the one that saves us. And if he gave us no other gift, it would be the greatest gift God could give us. But that's not how our God is. Connected to Jesus, associated with Jesus as, as the gift, are many other sub-gifts, you might call them, and they're all glorious in their own right. And I want to talk to you about four of these such gifts. Jesus is the big gift, but there are special things connected that are not exactly one for one with Jesus, but they're because of Jesus we get from God. Gifts that God gives us. And the first one I want you to think about this morning is the gift of adoption. It's not the same as the gift of redemption. It's connected, but it's not the same. And we celebrate redemption, our being forgiven for our sins because of Jesus. And it's God has cleared our wrongdoing through Christ. And that is glorious. But he also gives us a status. He doesn't just clear us of wrongdoing. He brings us to himself as sons and as daughters. That is a gift that's inexpressible. That we are made sons and daughters of God. J.I. Packer, in a quote that I have there on your outline, your insert says, and he captures this wonderfully, you see the gift of it. Adoption is a family idea. Now, I want to say from the beginning, I know we all come from messed up families. Some of your families are more messed up than the person sitting next to you, but they're all messed up. You're in the family, so that's messed up right there, right? We Families are dysfunctional. We think of other families as dysfunctional, but really, if we analyze it, ours are as well. So get out of the mindset of the family of God being just like our dysfunctional earthly families. God's crafting together a family for heaven that will have all the glorious attributes he's building into it, even in our foibles today. So with that, listen to what Packer says about adoption. Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship and establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. Now, hear God's word. I'll read the first two passages as we start to think about God's gift of adoption. Matthew 6, 9, just one simple verse. We say it every week in worship, but think about it through these a new set, this new set of lens, if you will. Pray then like this, Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, prayers in the Old Testament were almost, almost always begun in formal salutation to God. He says, Our Father, that's how you should pray. And then 1 John 3, 1 and 2. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we now know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Please bow with me as I lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Father, it has been said by some that Our adoption by you through Christ is the apex of your mercy and grace. Without a doubt, the highest privilege that can be bestowed on us, on a person, is to be adopted into your family. In our salvation, you not only have redeemed us from our sins and credit Christ's righteousness to us, but you also adopt us into your very family. Father, let this be the bedrock of all our relationship with you. Father, especially for those feeling alone, lonely, worthless, not not valued, disconnected, or unassociated. Please 
encourage them with this blessed doctrine of adoption on this first Advent week. Please deepen our love of Christ this day. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, this year was one of the most significant years in our family's life because we were able to formalize, that is, make official our adoption of our daughter, Willow. I have always cherished the doctrine, the biblical doctrine of adoption. Thought about it often, especially these last 15 years. But I have to say, it's taken on a new dynamic for me now having an adopted daughter. I do think, this may be a chauvinistic statement, but that's okay. I do think it's more natural for women to be motherly to children, even when they're not their biological children. I know it could just be me, but as a man who struggles with emotional connection and expression sometimes, when we started doing foster care, and I thought about the possibility of maybe one of these children becoming adoptable, I admit to you that I struggle with wondering, would I have the same sense of fatherhood to them as I do my own children? I think that's probably a normal thought. I think a lot of men have that thought as they consider foster care adoption. Well, when Willow came to us at seven weeks old, she was in serious duress. Uh, She had 12 fractured ribs. She had a broken lower leg. She had thrush on her tongue. She was only nine pounds at seven weeks. She even had a mite skin infection that we didn't even understand for several weeks. The first month we called her Weeping Willow because that's what she did. It's cry a lot. You can understand why. I found myself immediately, though, even though she was our foster child, and we're trained to think in terms of being stewards or taken care of to give back to the biological family or whoever will have them permanently. You know, we're trained to think that way as foster parents. I admit to you, her coming in such a state made me feel very defensive immediately for her and her situation. And I think all of our boys felt the same way as well. It just, it just came upon us. Before I even had a chance to analyze all that emotional connectedness I talked about, I was involved. I was in deep already. This is within days, if not then weeks after getting more and more serious and deeper and, and, and profound. I, it was something I'd never dealt with before as I think of my biological children. Really, from the day she came into our house, I felt like a father to her. As the weeks went on and we wanted to adopt her and we knew that she would be adoptable, the idea of someone else caring for her actually offended me at some level. After that lengthy process, we stood before the judge and it was declared officially that Willow was now Willow Felich and she became my adopted daughter. Any concern about emotional connection or how it would feel was completely and utterly gone long before that time. There's no pause in my mind or spirit about Willow as 100% my daughter. And really, words cannot begin to express the kind of love I have for her. Now, I don't know if it's because she's a little girl, some of you tell me, or it's that she's adopted under the situation she was. I can't explain the way I feel about her. And I thought to myself, and I know it's not a one-for-one because our we're not equal with God, but if God loves us as adopted children the way I love Willow, and I know he loves us way more than that, that's profound to me, and that's life-changing to think of someone loving me like that. When God made his move to adopt you, you were far worse off than Willow was when she came to us. We could not have been in more desperate straits, dead in our trespasses and sins. Of all the deep truths of the Advent season, this great gift at the very core is our adoption. Please notice I have the passage there listed next, Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 7. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, so when God's time had ripened, when 
The moment had arrived over the, the decades and the centuries. God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Our redemption in Christ, we celebrate that. But please don't lose connection with what comes next. So that we might receive adoption as sons. It's not the full explanation of the gospel if we only stop with our being cleared of wrongdoing. The full explanation is to say he clears us of our wrongdoing so that he can make us his sons and his daughters. That's the gift of adoption. And because you are sons, verse 6, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Notice the descriptives in that verse, in those verses in Galatians. Sons, the profound meaning of that. And daughters, for that matter. Children, Abba, Father, this sentimental description of God. Far different than the very formalized Yahweh that they would have known God as in the Old Testament. Not to say that the Old Testament did not depict Jesus, God as, as Father. It, it did in, very, in, a, in a few places, but it's now in its fullest sense because of Christ and his redemption so that we might be sons and daughters. Not slaves, but sons. An heir. That is, heirs of all the riches that God our Father has. God has made us his sons and daughters because of Christ. So through adoption, we now have a sense of belonging, a sense of value, and a sense of being loved. You know, we just finished that exposition through Mark, and I spent many weeks really highlighting and accenting the last hours of Jesus' life, his redemptive work, the work he did where he takes our sins as credited to his account, goes to the cross, so God pours out his wrath on us and our sins in Christ. And then Jesus transfers to us his righteousness, So that when God looks upon us, he sees our sins removed and paid for in Jesus' righteousness in its place. That's our redemption. We celebrate this. And we ought to think about it often and always and over and over again. But what he does next is he then brings us into a family relationship with himself. And now we have senses about things we could not have if all we focused on was the clearing of the wrongdoing. First, we have a sense of belonging. People want to belong so badly to something. They want to be part of a community. They want to be accepted in that community. Even people who are relatively shy or introverted, they want a sense of being connected to a team or a larger family or a group or an organization. In fact, truth is, when people leave a church, nine out of ten times, it is not because of some doctrinal issue or something that made them mad about Uh, something the leadership did, or even someone offending them. It's a sense of not being connected, is what they'll say. They can't always put their finger on it, but it's a lack of belonging. And at a first level, we have to understand our belonging in God through Christ. But also, there's a sense of value that comes when we understand our adoption. Uh, To be adopted means that someone had to go after you. This means you are worth something significant. This is a sense in which an adopted child is chosen, whereas one biologically born is not. To be adopted means that you have value, and that feels good to be valued. To know that you matter to somebody, that someone thinks you are important, that's a powerful encouragement. And the king of the whole universe thinks you're so important that he sends his son for you so that you might not just be cleared of your wrongdoing, 
but made his son or made his daughter. But also, adoption brings a sense of being loved. To be adopted means someone has a continual affection for you. There's a sense of being cherished by someone who has made an effort to make you theirs. We have all experienced a lack of love between people, falling in and out of love, as we say. God has no such loss of love for you, his child. He does not experience this kind of loss of love that we describe in human fallen terms. So the concept of adoption, my brothers and sisters, this gift of adoption, it's not a fringe doctrine. It's not a fringe teaching. It's interesting that it wasn't really extrapolated or discussed or expanded much in the history of the church, really until recent centuries. Because it's so pervasive in the the Bible, especially the New Testament. Look at the next passage I have there listed for you in Romans 8. Galen actually referred to it in his prayer this morning. Romans 8, 14 and following. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, connected to what Paul writes in Galatians. You can see it. In verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It convinces us that we belong to God. It's a supernatural thing. It's something we can't explain in normal terms, but we are God's. No matter what is true of us, earthly speaking, we belong to God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. He's writing specifically to persecuted Christians who needed a sense of belonging, a sense of value, a sense of love. And how does he give this to them? What does he give them as a means to strengthen them under their persecution? He doesn't give them all the many great, wonderful doctrines there are in the Bible first. He gives them the doctrine of adoption as a way to up, stand up under the persecution. You belong to God. And, the, and what you won't get on this earth, you will get in heaven because you are joint heirs together with Christ. I've wondered about this because I've searched the, the literature and there's only brief mentions of the doctrine of adoption really in the first 1,600 years of the church's history. It's mentioned because it's a biblical doctrine, but why is it that it's not uh, expanded more? And I don't have a direct answer. I think partly we like things systematically, especially the first 1,600 years of the church's existence, really liked it systematically or uh, orderly in a way to describe it. Almost without emotion, we like to have our doctrines. And, and that's an unfortunate reality because doctrine is real life. It's what shapes how we view the world. And we spend necessary time and focus studying the doctrine of redemption. Necessary time and focus studying the doctrine systematically of justification. Necessary time and focus of the doctrine of election. It's in the Bible. We ought to. There's clear verses that refer to it. We have it ordered. We talk about it. Necessary time and focus on the doctrine of atonement. Necessary time and focus on the doctrines of grace as we call them. But why is it that this doctrine of adoption gets neglected? At least at some level in the history of the church. Well, I don't know for sure, but I can say that there is a light that shines on this doctrine. It's a short one in a bigger document, but it's one that as I read it over and over and over again, became more and more impressed with how thoroughly biblical it was. It comes in our confession of faith, just one little section on adoption. And I put it on the bottom of your insert. This is a profound biblical answer. It it takes all the Bible's teaching on adoption and in basically one lengthy paragraph lays it all out. And when you start to unpack it, when you expand it, you start to get a real sense of the gift of adoption. Look at what the statement says. All those that are justified, God vouchsafes. What a great word. 
confirms, makes sure, cements us. God vouchsafes in and for his only son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption or gift of adoption. Now look at how it lays out the Bible's teaching on adoption. By which they are, those who are adopted, taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God, have his name put upon them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. They're pitied, they're protected, they're provided for and chastened by him as by a father. Yet they are never cast off but sealed to the day of redemption and inherit the promises and heirs of the ever of everlasting salvation. We should spend a lot of time in church reading the word and studying justification, how it is we're made right with God. But we ought never stop there because it's God's intention for us to live that justification out as adopted sons and daughters, as children, not academics sitting in a lecture hall saying, yeah, that's true, that's true. Oh, it's way more than that. You see the answer that the Westminster divines take time to give us. Let's look at this. To make partakers of the grace of adoption by which they are first taken into the number. They are made to belong to the community of his redeemed. They are given membership in his church, which is eternal. We belong as a result of adoption. Notice what else it says. They enjoy the liberties and the privileges of the children of God. Can you see children just very freely moving in their parents' house with their parents' stuff? They didn't buy any of it, but they think of it as theirs. They enjoy the liberties and the privileges of the children of God. I have several people who I know that are friends of mine that are pretty rich. And they have toys or things that are more expensive than one of our cars. And I'd be scared to get too close to them, but you go over and their kids are playing with them. And there's no care whatsoever about that. And as I thought about that, that's enjoying the liberties and the privileges that come with being a child of those people. But you are a child of the king of the universe and you have the liberties and the privileges of being his child with full access to him. They enjoy these liberties and privileges and so ought we as children of the king. It also says they have his name put upon them. I want you to ponder this. Uh, Names are important in history, that they connect a person with a family that has certain privileges and rights. They're part of the family name. Their name is put upon them. Our identity is wrapped up in that name. And we have God's name put upon us when we're adopted. This past week, as it would work out providentially, Sherry had her piano recital, was here, and Willow was in the back twirling around. That's the part I saw. Next thing I knew, she fell backwards and hit her head on one of the doors. It just grazed the door. It didn't even look like a, th- a thud or anything like that. Next thing you know, she's bleeding. Turns out she needs some stitches in the back of her head. So Sherry takes her to the emergency room. I take the boys back to the house. They get put to bed. My mom comes over. I go to the hospital several hours later. And I get to the hospital, Children's Mercy South, and I walk in. I said, I'm here to see my daughter's here. She had to get stitches. Her name is Willow Felich, and she's looking at her computer. Sorry, sir, she's not here. What do you mean she's not here? I know she's here. I mean, my wife just told me, is there another Children's Mercy South I'm missing? No, she's not here. I'm sorry, no one of that name. I said, can you spell it again? F-E-L-I-C-H. No, I'm sorry, it's not here. I'm telling you, she's here. So I go back, sit down, and I call, uh, call Sherry. I said, Sherry, I'm in the, in the waiting room here. They're saying you're not here. Are you at a different hospital? No, I'm right here. Just, just tell them we're, we're back here. I told them that. They said she's not here. So I sat there, as calm as I would ever be, And I sat there and I'm thinking to myself, what could be the issue here? 
Now, it dawns on me at that moment that Willow had gone there several times when we were fostering her under her previous name. And so Sherry comes out with Willow at this point, and the nurse is probably thinking, I'm a little bit crazy, a little bit weird, maybe some kind of stalker in the waiting room, right? And then Sherry comes out, and we all together realize, oh, her name is not listed as Willow Felice, it's Willow whatever her last name used to be. I thought to myself, and as I said to the lady, I got to admit, this is what I said to her when she told me he wasn't in there. I said, well, I just want you to know that the name's now Willow Felice. And here's the deal. If you send me a bill with that name on it, I won't pay it. Because that's not my daughter. She is the, the name you have is not my daughter. My daughter is this name. And if you want to get paid, this is the name you got to use. Sir, you need to go to the through registration for this. And that's right when Sherry walked in. And then we all put together, we had a big laugh about it. Oh, that's what had happened. Well, you know, it's funny, but I'll tell you what. God the Father says, your old name isn't your name anymore. Your name is my name now. You have all the rights and privileges that are in my name, not that old name. Forget that old name. It's legally gone. You're obligated to disregard that name now because you have a new name. They have his name put upon them. That's what it means to be adopted. She is ours. We are his. It also says that they receive the spirit of adoption. They're enabled to cry, Abba, Father. Uh, Romans 8 says it again. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. They have access to the throne of grace with boldness. God supernaturally empowers us to believe our adoption, to know it's true. God, by his Holy Spirit, convinces us of our belonging to him. God, by his Holy Spirit, gives us comfort with referring to him as father. There are lots of technical ways to describe a Christian that you can think of. But maybe the easiest way to say someone's a Christian is to say that a Christian is a person who has God as his or her father. It is the Holy Spirit who gives us a sense of our adoption. And what do we gain in this adoption, this gift of adoption? We are pitied. We are protected. We are provided for. The father pities his children in their various difficult circumstances. They feel sorry for us. He feels sorry for us, as we would feel sorry for our own children at times. He gives protection, ultimate protection. A protection that you can't even fathom sitting here right now. A father provides what his children need, not just what they want, what they need, which is so much more important. It says also, they are chastened by him as a father. Discipline. The father loves the one he disciplines. You don't love your children if you don't discipline them. You're lying to yourself if you think otherwise. If you love them, you discipline them to keep them from harm in the future. And that's what the father does. He chastens us. Maybe right now as you hear this discussion of adoption, the gift of adoption, you're in rebellion in some way against God right now. And even the the thought of this, of you bearing his name, it, it shames you a bit. It bothers you a bit. And God wants you, in a sense, to feel a bit of that chastening. But he does in such a way, just as the confession writers say, yet never cast off. He doesn't remove you. You're sealed to the day of redemption. This is an interfamily matter that God is working with when he convicts us of our sin. He's not convicting us unto loss of salvation. He's convicting us as a father who loves his child wants to grow that child in him and trust in him. And what does it say finally in that statement? They inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. What a great way for the the writers of the confession to say it. They inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. After time, God's time, the promises made to Christ about eternity and glory are realized and you experience them. 
We are joint heirs together with Christ through adoption. Paul says in Ephesians, that last passage that I have listed among the verses on your insert, in Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And please notice verse 6, as it really impacts all of our lives. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. What a gift. Adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to the praise of his glorious grace. You know, I think it's important that we understand what grace is. People label someone as gracious to describe their dealings with others or things that they do with grace. People will use the word grace to describe someone forgiving another person of wrongdoing or overlooking wrongdoing. But in the context of the Bible, in the doctrine of adoption, it's important that we gain a more accurate picture. As I've taught this before, I say it to you again, it's this important. Imagine if you were living near a park where a homeless person lived. And that person comes and knocks on your door for some food. You give them food, they eat. That would be grace. We would all say that's a gracious thing to do. And that's true, but it's not depictive of God's grace, of adoptive grace. Not even close. Imagine you lived near this same park where a homeless person lived. You go out where they were sleeping. You invite them back to your house for a meal. They come and they eat until they're filled. You send them off with a bag full of food. That would be even more gracious, would it not be? We'd say, boy, that's above and beyond. That's really gracious. And it's true, it is. But that's still not descriptive of God's adoptive grace. And I know all analogies break down at some level when trying to describe God's dealing with us. But imagine if you live near this park where this homeless person lived. One night, that person sneaks into your house and kills a family member, maybe your spouse. On the way out, they steal your belongings and spit on your doorstep. You go out the next day and find them. You bring them back to your house and feed them. You then give them a place in your house with a bed to sleep in. When justice needs to be served for the violence they did, you substitute yourself for their punishment. When I think of such a thing, it fills me with righteous indignation. That's crazy that that would be fair in any way that that should be done. Yet that's descriptive of the adoptive grace God shows us in Christ. We receive his favor in the presence of our demerit, in the presence of our wrongdoing towards him. And he puts that on his son so that we might be joined with him as adopted sons and daughters. He shows his favor on us despite our terrible rebellion and violence against him because of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. I want you to sense the gift of adoption for many reasons, but one is oftentimes, maybe some of you here, you stop with celebrating the fact that your sins have been forgiven and you continue to be distant with God because you still feel guilty about that thing you did that had to be forgiven. And I understand to some degree that's, that's true in our lives. We, we feel that, we think of that at times and we contemplate it for moments. But I think the reason why you can't get over the hump, so to speak, 
in your relationship with God is that you're forgetting that he did this so that he can make you a son or a daughter who can come boldly to the throne, who can come without shame any longer, who can come without guilt. He knows all that stuff about you and he still made you his son or daughter. That's a huge step for many Christians to go from just appreciating God's clearing of our wrongdoing to accepting the fact that we are his children and he loves us and never casts us off. The great gift of Christmas is Jesus Christ. In Christ, we have the forgiveness of sins. We have peace with God, a sense of God's favor, and a blessed hope for eternity. There really could be no greater gift than Christ. So this Advent season, we're going to explore these different corollary gifts, the ones that are in the pockets of the purse, so to speak. Today, we've considered the gift of adoption. God has made us his sons and daughters because of Christ. And through adoption, we now have a sense of belonging, of value, and being loved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, conceiving of your mercy and grace in our adoption is so foundational for our joy and our security and our Christian living, as it is said. Lord, we do not have a spirit of fear or slavery any longer, but of liberty and of joy and of our sonship. You have bestowed on us that we should be called your children, Please encourage the one who feels disconnected today, who feels like an orphan. Please assure those who may feel lonely or alone this day. Please bring a sense of joy and strength to any who feel dis, uh, disassociated or disenfranchised this day. Lord, grant that all of us might enjoy the liberties and the privileges of being your children this Advent and forevermore. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.